Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to Eastern Border. We have switched our episode theme once again. I had some nice war stories for you, but I finally want to talk about something that really bothered me last month and that I couldn't get my hands on, and it turned into a bigger subject, all thanks to a Twitter conversation to Mr. Bauman, this is one of my listeners, a fellow Latvian. Well, by ethnicity, at least, I think. I presume he lives in the United States. I'm not entirely sure, but most likely he does. However, you know, um, I had a conversation on Twitter about sports, because I like sports, I've been involved in sports, and uh, at the end of the episode I'll tell you how I actually played a single game in the Latvian national cricket team. Yes, Latvia has a cricket team, and I've played one game on a national level. It's bizarre. But the main subject here is all about soccer, or football. It's football. I just don't want to call it soccer because it hurts my ears when I do, so whenever I say football, I mean soccer. You see, a lot of changes have been happening lately, and, well, if you follow football at all, then you might have heard about the Superliga and how that almost destroyed our game forever, basically. And there are other things, such as the RB Leipzig club, which is doing terrible things to German football, and why this all matters, specifically to you, Americans, because, like it or not, our football, which is everyone else's football except United States, Canada, and Australia, that's the biggest sport on the planet, and it, it matters to a lot of people. It has stopped civil wars, ended racism in countries, and a lot of people in a lot of countries would just gladly trade a ton of Olympic gold medals just to be able to lift the cup, right? And a lot of people watch sports, and I watch sports because I've been involved in them myself, like I told you, and I think it's kind of important to take a look at it because uh, it's a weird subject for the eastern border, but I honestly haven't seen a lot of this explained to United States people. I mean, Vox wrote about it, I think, with an article once, but what they fail to do there, which is what I'm going to start with, is 
To understand why Super League is bad and why it matters, and I'm a huge Dortmund Borussia fan, so to me it mattered a lot, why it matters you need to understand how European football works. Okay? So, today on Eastern Border, I am going to start with explaining Americans how European football works, and I'm going to use Bundesliga, the German Liga, as an example, because they have a bunch of nice resources telling you stuff, and, uh, well, they're a neat little system to do this. First of all, the very fact that there exists a Bundesliga should tell you something. But, let's get down to the beginning. First of all, I'll explain to you how the league system works in football, in Europe, and then I'll tell you how they're trying to basically destroy our favorite game here. Okay, so the structure of all of European football is very complex. The lead kind of governing body, UEFA, which is the United European Football Association, oversees all the continental competitions, but every individual nation in the EU and otherwise in Europe in general have their own domestic leagues. There are Currently, 55 national association members in the UEFA. Some of those are, like, not even sovereign nations, such as Gibraltar and the Faroe Islands. Well, cities like Vatican City and Monaco are not represented. And some, as Kazakhstan, even though they're governed by UEFA, are not in Europe. It's kind of weird. For some people, that's kind of like having Australia compete in Eurovision, but still. And also, Great Britain has... Scotland and England and Wales too, and they all run their own national teams. So you won't see a Great Britain football team, you'll just see, well, the English one and the Scottish one and the Northern Ireland one. It's all complex, but, well, England invented football, so that's a tradition. Tradition matters a lot. But basically, imagine if all of the 50 United States plus territories like Guam and Puerto Rico had their own governing bodies deciding how their soccer leagues work consisting of insane numerous levels. That is European football. Have fun. I am going to do this. The domestic leagues, each country has their own, well, with the exception of the Alpine nation of Liechtenstein, all of these members run their own domestic league system. This is often referred to as the pyramid, with a nationwide first division at the top. Below that, as the pyramid widens, is where things differ. Depending on the population size and number of clubs, divisions will either remain nationwide or eventually split to become regional. That creates the pyramid shape in sort of a diagram. For example, our our lower leagues here in the Baltics play throughout the Baltics, while our top league is still just a Latvian one. Focusing on the top tier of all this matter, and huge mess, the most common format consists of each team playing the other team twice, once at home and once away in a season, which lasts from fall to spring. It's not in a single year, it's always from fall to spring, so that summers are somewhat empty, and that's why all the kind of big competitions in soccer or football happen throughout the summer. Except in 2022, which is going to be hosted in Qatar, which is going to happen in Christmas, which is literally mid-season for um, every league, which is going to make the whole championship terrible. But I will tell you why Qatar as host nation is terrible Anyways, we'll get to that. Other countries in colder climates will perhaps run within a single calendar year or have an extended winter break to avoid playing in freezing conditions. However, that's, like, very rare. Most most people just play from fall to spring, really. That's how the German league works, that's how the English league works, all the big ones. Normally, in such a league, you get three points for a win, one point for a draw, 
and the team with the most points after all the games is the champion. There are no playoffs. Well, kind of? They exist, but they're they're not like playoffs. The league itself is the championship. And it's important to kind of think here, because I know that in American sports, everyone plays, you know, the, the standard league, and then there are playoffs. In Europe, it works differently. After, you know, all the scoring when it comes to teams tied for points at the end, leagues define kind of their own criteria to determine who's ahead. The first of these is often who has the highest goal difference, which is goals scored minus goals conceded over the course of the season, followed by just goals scored and so on. Some leagues, however, use the head-to-head record between rival teams as the first criteria after points, including away goals, because away goals matter more than home goals, before continuing with other kind of season-spending statistics. This is often weird because sometimes teams are so tied between the points and everything that it has gone down to, like, as far as the team with the fewest yellow cards. It's crazy. And sometimes the rules go so crazy with, like, if even that's tied and everything's tied, yeah, it can go off as separated by an additional one-off match, but there have been actual cases where the placement of teams at the end of the season, because everything was totally equal, the points, the games won, all the goals and everything, yeah, at one point in history... That was even determined by a coin toss, or sometimes even drawing the lots, which is just insane. So basically, what might be considered the regular season in the United States is, well, basically just the season in, well, almost all European leagues. Any reference to playoffs is usually concerning promotion and relegation, but we'll get to that later. So, just to explain, because I have to use a single league, I'll be using Bundesliga. You know, that's where my one of my favorite sports teams come from. So, 18 teams in the Bundesliga play a total of 34 matches each. Two against each team, once at home and once in away, in a random order set out by the fixture list. The English Premier Liga, Spain's La Liga, Italy's Series A, and France's League One, the other leagues, considered Europe's Big Five, all consist of 20 teams, resulting in 38 rounds of fixtures. There isn't kind of one-size-fits-all approach, though. Scotland, for example, has three parts to its regular season. Since the Scottish Premiership only consists of 12 teams, the first 22 rounds of fixtures see them play their the customary home-and-away match against each other, and then they play each other at the third time, either home or away, depending on how the fixtures are drawn. Once 33 games have been played, in such a manner in Scotland, the league splits into two halves of six teams. Each club will then play five more matches against the other teams in their half. The champion is again the team that finishes with the most points, but teams cannot leave their half of the table. This could result in an odd situation where the seventh place may have more points than the sixth come the end of 38 games. Which is bizarre, because that's how Scottish League works. Now, things are even more complex in Belgium. After 30 rounds of fixtures in the 16-team league, the top six then enter the championship playoffs. They are one of the few people with actual playoffs in European football. Their regular season points are halved as they begin a new mini-league playing home and away against each other to determine the champion and also European qualifiers. As for the remaining 10, the bottom side is relegated but will still compete in the Europa League playoffs with the 9 sides above them, as well as the top 6 teams from the 2nd division. This is bizarre and weird. But in general, as long as everyone understands the rules, of course, that is a particularly unusual system, but that's how the Belgians roll. Now, what is promotion and relegation? The great difference with soccer in the USA and Major League Soccer, basically, is this system of promotion and relegation. 
You see, in Europe, and I believe in South America too, but I can't speak about that football there, teams move between levels of the pyramid at the end of each season. That means a set number of clubs at the bottom end of a division, except like in the bottom most league, obviously, will drop one level below. Sides finishing at the top end of all leagues, bar the first one, will move up a level. Obviously, things aren't quite that simple and are rarely uniform across leagues and countries. For example, the Bundesliga has two automatic promotion and relegation places. The top two sides at the end of the Bundesliga 2 campaign therefore replace the bottom two in the Bundesliga. Which makes, well, everything kind of fun. There is one more spot in Bundesliga that isn't automatic. Since 2008, the team finishing third from the bottom in the Bundesliga faces the side third in Bundesliga 2 over two-leg playoff. The winner then plays in the Bundesliga the following year. A kind of a similar thing is used in France's Liga 1, although the team third from the bottom there will face the winner of a series of playoffs between the sides finishing third to fifth in League 2. Across the remainder of Europe's Big Five, they use another slightly different method. In the Premier League, La Liga and Series A, the bottom three teams are automatically relegated, but there are just two automatic promotion positions from the league below. The Championship, Segunda Division and Serie B respectively. In England, the third team in the second-tier championship always plays sixth, while fourth faces fifth in two-legged semi-finals before a one-off final at Wembley to determine the third promoted team. In Spain, both semi-finals and final consist of two legs. In Italy, teams third through eight in Series B enter the playoffs. Fifth plays eighth, and so on, and all that stuff, and they all host each other in one leg. The winners then face a two-legged clash with either third or fourth, with the victors of those semi-finals contesting a two-legged final. But the thing is that this promotion relegation system, and by the way, kind of, the teams are not franchises, so a higher level team will not own the smaller level team, and it creates kind of this meritocracy, well, at least on paper, where team can start on the bottommost tier of all this pyramid, in like the fifth league of, of something, and then through the years, climb up the ranks. And this is a story which I'll tell you when it comes to Rosenballsport Leipzig, or RB Leipzig, which is another nice abuse of their rules. But yeah, it's important to understand that this makes the games interesting all around, because there are no like, drafts, there are no draft picks here, where I know that in the United States sports, some teams would rather, you know, if they're doing poorly, they'd rather lose on purpose so that they get a better draft pick next year. In Europe, even those lost games with, um, with the relegation system are always fought to the death, because being relegated means that you lose a lot of TV coverage and a lot of money, so it's always fun to even, even sometimes more fun than watching who win the season, is to watch like the lower ranking games to see who's gonna get relegated, because they will fight to the death to not get relegated, if they possibly can. So, then there are the cups. The cups are kinda like playoffs, but again, not really. So, the Cups. While the MLS Cup, the Major League Soccer Cup, and I presume every other possible cup in every American sports whatever, is what decides the league's champion at the end of the regular season and playoffs, European Cup competitions have nothing to do with the domestic leagues. The domestic league is just won by, you know, the regular season. The limit of a league's involvement in a cup is often what stage certain teams enter a draw. It's weird. See, national cups are predominantly run by the National Association, who nowadays tend to no longer run the top domestic leagues. In Germany, for example, the DFL, Deutsche Fußballliga, controls the Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2, 
while the DFB, Deutscher Fußballbund, or the German Football Association, organizes the national-wide third division and the cup, the DFB Cup, or DFB Pokal. Below the third tier, regional associations organize leagues under the umbrella of the DFB. And that's just an example, because Bundesliga is amazing, and that's, that's my favorite team there. The National Cup holds great prestige for teams, and has often been in existence longer than the league system, by the way. Cups are usually knockout tournaments over one or two legs, culminating in the end-of-season final, which is kind of like playoffs. The thing is, these cups happen mid-season, and they're unrelated to the league, and often, in a lot of things, basically, yeah, it's not just the top league that can participate in the cup, which is just a playoff system, but oftentimes even semi-pro or even amateur teams get invited if they show potential and then can compete. And sometimes the underdogs win, because European football is all about the underdog story. Like, for example, when Leicester City in 2016 won the Premier League while basically climbing up uh, through this promotion system because they've been relegated before, and they were totally, completely unknown before that. But hey... Like I said, European football loves its underdogs. So, in our technical playoffs in this cup, which is a playoff game, which is um, often held midweek, because the league happens in weekends, but the cup games happen midweek. You know, and it's, like I said, totally different. And the winners, by the way, of the cup, and as the league, are often also rewarded with European qualification if it's not been already achieved through their league position. And more on that later a bit. A team that wins both the top division and cup in their country is said to have won the domestic double. Because, you know, there's always the cup winner and there is the league winner and they're totally separate. In Germany, this has happened 16 times in Bundesliga. With, uh, well, my rival club, Munich Bayern, completing the league and cup double on 11 occasions. Three trophies is a treble, four a quadruple, and so forth. And, uh, well, Bayern Munich uh, used to be kind of the guys that I didn't like, because I'm a Dortmund Borussia fan. But now everything, everyone hates RB Leipzig. You should hate RB Leipzig, too. There are sometimes also secondary cups, by the way. A league cup organized by the league association was once common, but has started to fall out of fashion. From 2020-21, England is the only nation among top five to still hold a league cup. There are also cups available solely to teams outside of the top divisions or regional cups, often for non-professional clubs. Eligibility for these competitions, though, is as leagues get to most cups. And a special mention again to Liechtenstein. Although its teams compete in the Swiss league system, it does have its own domestic cup competition, allowing clubs from one of the world's two doubly landlocked countries a chance to compete in the Europa League under their national flag. That's different from AS Monaco, though. Monaco is an independent nation, but due to its size, it has no professional domestic league or cup. Which means that the club plays in the French system and represents France in Europe. So, how does European qualification work? Because everyone wants to play in the Champions League. Champions League is the greatest league of all sports ever, period. You might disagree, but you're wrong. There is nothing more prestigious for any club sporting event ever than winning the Champions League. I'm sorry, United States, that is just objectively true. Like I said, same goes with the World Cup. Football or soccer might not be popular in your country, but everyone else in the world who follows sports and loves soccer, as a result, knows what the Champions League is. We love the Champions League, and we hate it at the same time because it's all corrupt and terrible, but that's what we got, and that's awesome. Now, qualification for Europe, which is 
well, what we use to qualify for the Champions League and other European leagues, is an odd phrase when, you know, people always already play in Europe in various leagues. This refers to being able to compete in one of those continental club competitions organized by the UEFA. This does not include the European Championship, which is European nationwide championship known as the Euros, which is for national teams. Now, there are currently two Europe-wide club competitions, the Champions League and the Europa League. These will be joined in next year by the Europa Conference League as the third tier of European club football. This has nothing to do with domestic pyramid structure. There is no promotion or relegation between these leagues. Participation is based on the team's performances the previous season in their own domestic leagues. So, if you perform really well, then you qualify for the Champions League. If you perform slightly like worse in your domestic thing, you qualify for the Europa League. And now if you perform kind of shabby, then you'll just join the third European Club Football League. These qualifications are basically decided by the league positions, although domestic cup competitions also usually offer a route into Europe. All this, however, depends on a country's UEFA coefficient. Which means that, you know, um, whether or not you qualify through your domestic cup is basically decided whether or not your country as a general, your national team and everything where where your whole country is in European football. Like, because Latvian teams don't qualify in these games through our competition because our football is quite, well, bad. But still, for example, German teams do. This is a kind of a ranking, this coefficient is based on performances of clubs from each league in European competition over a set period. The higher ranked the league is, the more European qualification berths they're allotted. Because, you know, I think France has three, maybe? Or two? And, like, Spain has four? I know the Premier League has a lot. Because, you know, it's basically how well clubs from your country operate in European championships determines how many spots you get to participate from each country. Basically that. Some of these berths earn teams the right to go straight into the competition itself, beginning in the group stage. Others still have to go through qualifying, consisting of up to five rounds to reach the kind of European Championship thing for clubs. So qualification for Europe sometimes means qualifying for the chance to qualify for Europe. It makes sense if you think about it. Now, for the big one, for the Champions League, the base ruling is that the holders and previous Europa League winners are joined by the champions of the top 10 ranked nations, the six runner-ups from the top six, and the third and fourth place teams from the top four. Now, should the holders of the two European Championships uh, competitions already qualify via their league position, that opens up the opportunity for an extra club from another league to gain automatic entry. The remaining six places are made up of teams that have gone through the qualification process. This is all complex, but what it means basically is that after the regular season ends, because uh, this all usually starts like in September, after the regular season ends, the games determine your place in the European Champions League next year. So if someone wins the Premier League, then they'll qualify for participation in the European Champions League. And it's a complex system, but that's where the top clubs play together. And in the end, well, basically they get the right to play. And well, in the end... The Champions League switches from a group stage to a playoff stage, and unlike other sports, the European champions in the Champions League are determined by a single game. Everything else is determined by a kind of a two-league thing, but the champions are always determined in 90 minutes in a single game. Because again, we like the underdog stories, and although like best of five or best of seven would do better to determine which the better team is, as we don't have these playoffs, as the United States has, well... 
we kind of like the whole idea about, you know, underdogs actually winning. Hello there. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of The Eastern Border. We are so happy to announce that this episode is brought to you by our friends at russansov.com. If you're looking to buy new art, don't forget to use the code EASTERNBORDER for a discount on us. Remember, head over to russensoft.com and happy shopping! If, however, you want to support our show directly, head over to patreon.com or our website theeasternborder.lv to find out how you can help out. For all things Eastern Border, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Discord. And as always, thank you so much for supporting us. We really appreciate each and every one of you. That's all from me now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So now that you know how all this thing works, at least I hope that you understood, but the most important part is the fact that you to qualify for the European Champions League, you have to perform well in your domestic league, and there exists promotion and relegation, which makes the games interesting, and like it's all done through the league system, and there's also the cup winner. But basically, the best teams get to play in the European Champions League, and it's determined solely by how well you play. However, there is obvious difference in whether or not your team has a lot of money. However, not always the teams with the most money are actually the best teams. This is where Super League comes in, and everyone's happy that it died. Because, for one, I'm really glad that it did die, and I'm also kind of happy because, well, it was basically the greatest crisis in everything, because it would totally destroy the way how the sport is played in Europe and would make it way more American. Which is, well, a bad thing because we like the way it's been going because all of our clubs have insane histories and they're very old and their traditions and everything. And we like it that way. And we don't have silly names for our clubs, by the way. Because that's also prohibited because there's, again, tradition. In Eastern Europe, at least, well, during the Soviet era, that's why we have Spartak and Dynamo. Those are our traditional names. For example, in, in Spain, they would use Real or, or Sporting and stuff like that. So, you know, each country has their own traditional names for clubs, but they are actual clubs, not just franchises. There are no, you know, West London Reds 
which might happen due to Arsenal being owned by, well, Glazers own Manchester United still. Well, Manchester Reds in that case. See, technically, Super League was a thing where 12 of the world's richest football clubs, not necessarily the best, unveiled a plan to launch what they call the Super League, which was a closed competition much in line with uh, the how American leagues work, in which they and their invited guests would compete against one another while claiming even more of football's billions of dollars in revenue for themselves. They're already super rich. And this would destroy the Champions League, you know, the merit-based thing that we have and love, but it also called in question the very future of the domestic leagues that have been, like, the cornerstone of European football for, like, more than a century. So what is the Super League? What do they want to do? The concept has been around for decades. A continental competition that incorporates all the most famous names from Europe's domestic leagues every year into an event of all their own. And this has been something between aspiration and the threat, but it was bad, man. Really bad. So far there were 12 founding members, and they all, and their fans wanted to kill them for it and, you know, make them just go away and do bad things. The members were Real Madrid, Manchester United, Liverpool, Juventus. And these were the center ones. And they invited eight other clubs to join. Barcelona and Atletico Madrid from Spain, Inter Milan and AC Milan from Italy, and the rest of the Premier League self-appointed Big Six. Manchester City, Chelsea, Tottenham Hotspur, and Arsenal. There's a bit of a problem here. If you know anything about football, you know that Tottenham Hotspur haven't won a single league title in over 60 years. Arsenal is finishing 10th this season in the Premier League. AC Milan is barely hanging on to themselves, and there are like, it's, it's crazy, like the same Leicester City, yeah, it has more Premier League titles than Tottenham, just saying, the teams that do all this stuff, they're, uh, they're rich, yeah, they're well-known names, yeah, but they're not that good, well, except, of course, you know, Real Madrid is actually good, and Manchester United, Chelsea, they actually are playing in the Champions League this year in the finals, I think just because I, I watched the game between Chelsea and Madrid Real, but oh, what was the other one? Oh, it was it was PSG, PSG uh, from France, uh, but they're like they're not in the Super League thing. That was it. It's PSG versus Manchester United and Real Madrid versus Chelsea, and Chelsea won Real Madrid, and uh, now they're going to face Manchester United in the finals, which is awesome. And I wish Chelsea wins. Basically, Tottenham and Arsenal would be just paying get into the Super League even though they wouldn't qualify and just imagine watching your sports team lose all the time because they're not, like, they're famous, but they're not as good. And it was just kind of crazy. This was supposed to be joined by the PSG, Paris Saint-Germain in France, and Bayern Munich and Dortmund Borussia, technically. However, uh, yeah, no one from France or Portugal or Germany agreed for this because, yeah... What they wanted to do was the fact that they would have these 15 founding teams, which would form the bedrock, and they would have five other teams invited to play, and they would be split in two divisions, ten in each, and they would still kind of play in their domestic leagues. However, there would be no relegation. There would be, like, these permanent members who would face off, like, against each other all the time, and that would make their games less special, and they would just, you know... Like, Arsenal and Tottenham would just lose every game they would play in that league, and it would just be, just they would just buy themselves in into something pretending to be UFA Champions League, which is decided by merit. And this was all about money. 
it was all about money because a lot of these teams have been spending from the mentioned Super League teams. They have been spending insane amounts of money to buy superstar players and they've been wasting it and they're in massive debt. Like Barcelona, Barcelona is like just done. However, if you look at the Premier League teams, five of them are owned by the United States people and they were massive bankers and investors ready to just, you know, promote this sort of American-style league in Europe, which would destroy domestic leagues, which would cause a lot of trouble to the pyramid, which would destroy the dream. Sure, it's an ideal dream, but it sometimes happens, and we all root for it, because we like the underdog story, the dream of, you know, you ever getting to play with the top dogs. Because, well, yeah, now these big teams, they technically need to actually compete against the smaller teams, and they risk you know, actually losing to the smaller teams. That wouldn't be the case. And due to the United States investment from various banks and everything, basically each founding member would gain around $400 million immediately, merely to establish a secure financial foundation. And that is four times more than Bayern Munich earned last year for winning the Champions League. Okay? That would be kind of a loan, but it would be just crazy. But that's just the start. The clubs believed that selling the broadcast rights for the Super League, as well as the commercial income, that would be worth billions. And that would all go to them, rather than being redistributed to smaller clubs and lesser leagues through being football's governing body UEFA. Because the people that they get in their clubs and the national teams, they all come from these smaller teams, from this pyramid. It all goes upwards and, and you know, you, you kind of grow as a player and then you get to play the Champions League and then you get to play in the Euros and the World Cups and everything. And that's crazy. And everyone hated it. Because, for example, if you're a fan of Russian main league, and you like, uh, for example, Spartak Moscow, which are a great team, or you like like CSKA, or, or Zenit, or, or something like that, yeah, for people in like other countries which are not the big six, as I mentioned, you know, the, the guys who automatically qualify, you have to go through qualification rounds. And it's just sometimes amazing to think that, hey, yeah, people from a small country, like mine, or, for example, Belgrade, Belgrade Red Star from Serbia, they have held the Champions League Cup once. They have won the European Champions League once. When some team from Belgrade, like Belgrade Red Star, gets to play Madrid Real, obviously the fans are going to flock into it, and it's a big celebration in Serbia. And what the Super League wants to do is just, they wanted to cut off completely the chance for the smaller countries and the smaller teams, like Panathinaikos from Greece, or, or, or Beshtar, or even like Belgrade Red Star, and all these other teams, or even Ajax, which is a good Netherlands team, they're really good. They don't have as much money, but they have a lot of talent. Yeah, they would never play these teams again. They would get invited like five teams from Europe. Europe has 55 leagues. And these like 12 teams, or something, they were supposed to be 15, but whatever, so these teams would just play against each other, and then they would invite someone that they liked, and it was all based on money, and that would turn our, like, everything I just told you about in the previous section completely around. But the fans responded, and this was amazing, because everyone went out and protested, and everyone just went, like, crazy about this, because this, this was about to destroy our sport. And then, people started demanding a bit more. You see, in Germany, there's this rule that it's called 50 plus 1, which means that 50% plus 1 share of a sports club has to be fan-owned. So you can, like, purchase basically your way into being a member of the club, and then you go to the meeting, and then you elect your 
chief executive officer, and then you get to vote on what the club does. So in Germany, the clubs, they report back to fans. And also, clubs there can't be named after their sponsors. This is why we're getting into RB Leipzig, which everyone hates and so should you, which is kind of the big issue how all this is changing, and why everyone hopes that the RB Leipzig project will burn to ground and die. No offense to the people of Leipzig, but Red Bull, they're doing it wrong. The most hated club in European sports, basically. Okay, so, like I said, everyone hates RB Leipzig. The fact is that, like I said, the top, like Bundesliga, the Premier League of Germany clubs have to be owned by fans. This is the 50 plus 1 rule. This is not the case for lower league clubs. You see, a little over a decade ago, no one had heard of the club RB Leipzig. They did not exist. Their origin started a few miles from Leipzig in the city of Markenstadt. SSV Markenstadt was a 5th division football club in Germany, relatively unheard of until, well, you know, one kind of unknown Austrian energy drink manufacturer company called Red Bull. The same guys who run Red Bull New York, but that's accepted in American football because you have the weirdest names there. Like, I, I kind of like um, Columbus Crew SC for their attitude. However, Houston Dynamo makes me laugh because Dynamo was the names of the KGB funded clubs in the Soviet Union. If you're a Houston Dynamo fan, go and wear that Soviet uniform. Dress up like a KGB person. You've earned it because your club names itself after KGB. Amazing. I mean, I hope they do well, really. Anyway, Red Bull bought the license. And it's illegal, again, for any club being named after their sponsors because tradition and fandom is super necessary. However, SSV Markenstadt is not, you know, you can't market your energy drink off of this. They gave them 100 million euros to buy their players and just stuff them with money. And the RB Leipzig, during the time of seven years got promoted from the 5th league to the Bundesliga, where they're kind of in the third spot, I think, right now, because they just are pay-to-win. If you basically play video games, then you know what that means. They are the pay-to-win guys, they're the rich assholes who just got a lot of money, and then they got to play with it. They renamed, kind of, the club from SSV Markenstadt to RB Leipzig, but the trick is, due to the fact that... um, you can't be named after the sponsors, you might know the fact that, hey, it's called RB and everyone knows it's basically Red Bull Leipzig. Technically, it's called Rassenballsport Leipzig, which means literally Lone Ball Sports Games Club Leipzig, or something of that sort. As you can see, they picked the name so that they could blatantly promote it. They're not there for the tradition, they're not there for anything else, they are there to promote Red Bull. Because you know, even though they're officially known as Rassenballsport Leipzig, yeah, the club is effectively marketed as the RB or the Red Bulls by its promoters, because it's all, it's all about just marketing the energy drink. And obviously, this is why the club's hated in Germany, because they got a lot of money, they just slammed through the leagues, they just bought their way everything, they're just used to promote the energy drink, which is unheard of in, in European football. The club, obviously, is one of the most hated in Germany because, well, Germans and most other people feel just the club just, it doesn't fit into the ethos of our beautiful game. This is just a corporate gimmick. It's playing to the corporate needs. And such was the hatred and is the hatred that during their first game against my favorite Dortmund Borussia in 2016, a lot of Dortmund fans from Germany refused to travel to watch the game, choosing to follow the game on radio. 
German Football Association, the Bundesliga, like I said, follows this 50 plus 1 rule under which a club should own a majority of their rights. Now, membership to this club, normally it costs like 50 to 100 euros, which is from 50 to 100 dollars, 120 dollars, but then you get to vote. Membership of this club, 1,000 and more euros per year, and it only gives you non-voting rights. And all the proper members with the voting rights are all employees and associates of Red Bull. Like, every other club is owned by fans, this one's owned by Red Bull, and they're cheating the system once again by pretending to be fans and by legally not being named Red Bull, and by legally being owned by fans. And this is just crazy. And, yeah, this criticism also has been given weight by the way the Red Bull has managed another team they own in the Swiss League, RB Salzburg which was once the kingpin of Red Bull's football empire, it has now become a feeder club to RB Leipzig. Some of their best players have also been transferred to Leipzig in the last few years. So, they just messed up the game that we love, and that also kind of shows the Super League thing. And if you ever, ever decide to root for RB Leipzig in European football, please don't, they're terrible. But like I promised to Mr. Bauman this after all this football rant and because, you know, the game is close to my heart and I love it with terrible passion. I hadn't found anyone else explaining the sport and its issues and what's going on to Americans, so I did it. But here's the fun story that I promised to you. How I played that single game of Valavian national cricket team. Like I said, I like sports, and I know that Mark Sands, well, he's one of the first fans I got. I got Chris, I got Mark, and then there's other people that I just don't know. Those are the fans that I speak of in Facebook who've been listening to me since episode one, and I know specifically that Mark is a baseball fan. So I looked up Latvian Baseball Federation, because we have some people playing baseball. Mostly American people, and I kind of stumbled upon the pitch where they play baseball um, in the field there. However, when I was visiting uh, in Berlin, I had an Australian listener there, still have, won't mention his name because I know he values the privacy, However, he spent a lot of time explaining cricket to me, because he's an Aussie, and Australians, and also some Australian fans, by the way, I know every Australian that I've seen loves the sport, and uh, yeah, we've had listeners coming to visit and watching the Ashes games, so what happened was that this Australian listener explained the rules of cricket for me, and I was just interested to make sure, you know, just to check out kind of the weirdest sports around, because in Latvian, number one sport is hockey, which is then followed by basketball, which I don't enjoy a lot, and then there's, well, football, which I do enjoy. But I just checked up on cricket, because Latvia has a lot of migrants from India, because they get their student visa, or, or and we also have this rule that if you invest in a small business or real estate for, like, a lot of money, then you get permanent residency in Latvia, which is an EU member, so then you can go to other EU countries. And we have, like, really, really good universities, so a lot of people actually come and study here. So we have a lot of Indian people and Pakistani people in, in later days. So, um, And then, well, some of them listened to my show. And I went to, you know, and talked to them. And I, and I spotted where they play. So what happened was the fact that, well, they decided that the love of their sport goes throughout everything. And that they, you know, they'll form the Latvian Cricket Federation. Which they did. And Latvian Cricket Federation actually goes and promotes the sport throughout the schools of Latvia. And they offer everyone the chance to play. But it's like 99.9% immigrants. But that's okay. I mean, no one would care, except that due to how our uh, exporting league works in general and how like laws concerning export work, to 
basically qualify and count as Latvian national team, they had to have at least one person, a native-born Latvian. You have to have someone who's actually born in the country you're representing. It's illegal to have a team that consists only of immigrants. Otherwise, it can't, you know, call itself Latvian national cricket team. And they had a guy. They had a guy, and and they were playing, and, you know, Latvian team is playing a team from Estonia, and then I think there are two Lithuanian teams. It's a tiny league of cricket. It's a fun sport, but it's just that, you know, it has to compete against other things, and it's just not popular here. But some people who listen to my show, you know, and I, I spoke with them, they had an issue because during a game against Estonia, their only Latvian guy who was actually native-born at that time, I think they have more now because it's slowly gaining popularity because it's seen as weird and unknown here. And these guys are like being super friendly and nice people and they're really promoting the sport. And cricket's a fun game to play. Like it's a fun sport to actually participate in and they're doing a really great job with it. They they decided that, hey, they're one guy who was native born so that they could play because otherwise they can't play. He had like a flu or something. So they called me up because they knew that I knew at least the very basics of cricket. Like I had I had watched the videos and I got everything explained to me. So what I had to do was like I had to stand at bat once and bowl once. That's all I did. I I threw the ball once and I stood at bat once and like batted away the ball. I actually hit the ball, which is surprising <laughs> because I had, you know, never played cricket previously. I had only seen it in video. But I do have to state that during that my one representation of a Flavian national cricket team, we beat Estonia, which is amazing. <laughs> Then again, well, I've done fencing quite well. I, well, qualified for good tiers in Latvian sport. Well, never reached any Olympic athletes' uh, standards, obviously, but I was pretty good during my fencing days when before my, my health got worse. But yeah, I have actually represented something in the sports international level, which is my one single cricket game, <laughs> which is a bizarre story, but hey. Technically, you know someone who has played cricket on an international level now. Great, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So that's the story because people asked for it and I hope you, like, enjoyed it. It's just a funny random thing. However, please stay tuned. We're going to go back to historical episodes. I just really wanted to talk about one of my favorite sports and everything that's happening with it. And I hope you really enjoyed this episode because, well, hey, you know, I hope that some of you are sports fans and there will be a lot of questions about my favorite teams and other sports. So before we end this, comrades, I'll just give you a rundown. When it comes to hockey, I'm obviously a fan of, well, our KHL team, Riga Dynamo, because they're from Riga. However, in the NHL, I support Vancouver Canucks, because, well, our best goalie ever from Latvia, Artur Sirba, played in it. So go, my Canadian fans, Vancouver's the best. Also, San Jose Sharks, for other reasons, because also a lot of Latvians can play in there. Currently, I guess Buffalo Sabres would be nice, too. I'm not a fan of basketball, but, well, again, because Kristaps Porzingis plays there, even though he gets traumatized all the time and we don't know what's happening there, Dallas Stars would have, have to give a go, but I'm just really not a fan of football. I know nothing, I'm sorry, basketball. I know nothing about American football whatsoever. However, when it comes to baseball, I have to root for Boston Red Sox and Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto Blue Jays because... A Canadian guy explained baseball to me, which is amazing. And its difference is from cricket, mind you. And Boston Red Sox, because, well, Sam Davis from the Inward Empire podcast, whenever he comes back, a great friend of mine and buddy, whom I stayed with two times when I went to Boston, yeah, well, he liked Boston Red Sox, and that was great. So, well, 
kind of like that. And I am kind of fluent-ish in baseball things, so that's great. I also kind of seem to enjoy rugby. Rugby is kind of cool too, but I watch it like only when the World Cups happen, and I kind of just enjoy seeing how, for example, the All Blacks from New Zealand play South Africa. They were named after the Springboks, something of that sort. They were named after the Antelope or something. Springboks, I guess. I know the All Blacks, so not well versed. Um, I'm quite familiar with hockey, though, and soccer, obviously. So there you go. This is a weird sports episode, but I really hope you enjoyed it. We'll get back to normal stuff later, but I just really wanted to cover those topics because they're European. And, well, everywhere we love soccer. So, still the biggest sport on the planet. So, до свидания, товарищи. And I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.